welcome to Retreat Affairs. This is your host Sascha Kaus. I'm super happy that you have found the podcast. If you're hearing this, you're listening to our free feed that will only feature partial episodes of the podcast. If you're interested in the full conversation and all content, you need to subscribe at retreataffairs.com. There, you will get access to the full recording and a private RSS feed that you can add to your favorite podcatcher. And you will be able to access other subscriber-only content. I never want money to be the reason why you can't listen to the podcast. So if you can't afford a membership, there's an option at retreataffairs.com to request a free account. And I grant 100% of those requests. No questions asked. Welcome to Retreat Affairs. My guest today is one remarkable, inspiring human being. Jake Sasseville is one of the co-founders of Imiloa Institute, a world-class luxury retreat venue in the jungle of Costa Rica. You find all about Imiloa, that's I-M-I-L-O-A, on their website. That's imiloainstitute.com or on facebook.com slash Institute, and you can follow them on Instagram and Twitter at Institute. And you will find all the links in the show notes on our website retreataffairs.com. Jake and his partners and the team in Costa Rica built a truly transformational place. I haven't had the chance to travel to Costa Rica and visit Imiloa myself, but when I came across Imiloa for the first time about a year ago, I was immediately attracted by everything I saw. So, even before the podcast was on its way, I got on a discovery call with Jake to find out more about Emiloa. Talking with Jake and listening to him was so much fun and exciting, and I was impressed by his presence and engagement to show Emiloa to the world. Even though Retreat Affairs was still just an idea, I knew that I wanted Jake to be a guest on the show. And it was only after I had invited him that I found out more about his personal story. In his early 20s, Jake hosted and produced his own TV show, The Edge with Jake Sasseville. And he started his podcast, The Jake Sasseville Show, already back in 2014, where he interviewed a wide variety of guests from sports, showbiz, best-selling authors and musicians or transformational coaches. Listening to some of his episodes got me even more interested. Jake has been on his very own transformational journey. And I found it remarkable how open he spoke on his podcast about his life challenges. Sure, we all have our own experience and story. But with my own background in media, including a short time in my life where I hosted a TV show on German music television, there was a lot in what I found out about Jake that I could relate to. I get curious about how his experience influenced him to create a Miloa. On Emiloa's website, it says, Emiloa Institute invites guests to awaken their consciousness by creating the experience of home. If you listen to this episode, you will hear Jake's story and you will get a sense of how much that is connected to his own story. The wish to create a home is something I can deeply relate to. It's what drives me when I host retreats and I've seen it in my guests that they are looking for that experience of home. I'm happy that I have Jake on the show and a lot of what he said resonated with me and inspired me. And I hope it will do the same with you. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Jake Sasseville.
nice to have you here on the show. It's such a pleasure. It took us a little while, but finally we made it. All good things. All good things happen in due time. It's nice to see you. Wonderful. Um, let me start off by saying, I mean, you're the podcast um, master in a way. You've been doing podcasts for quite a long time already. And you're really experienced in that. And I've, I haven't listened to all of the episodes. I've listened to a few. And it feels like you've always been very, very open in sharing also personal things. So what did the podcast mean to you? Mm. You know, it's interesting. I thought I was late to the game of podcasts. I got in in 2013. Uh, Joe Rogan, by comparison, had been in since 2009, 2008. And Tim Ferriss had not yet started his podcast. Uh, I actually remember calling Tim and saying, hey, there's this thing like I'm doing a podcast you should do one. And he was like, ah, maybe. And I like, I, you know, I'm not the one that got him to do his podcast, but I was, I remember, I don't know if you've heard his podcast, the Tim Ferriss show. Yeah, absolutely. Extraordinary. But so I remember talking to him in the summer of 2013 about, about doing a podcast um, and talking to the guy uh, who was the CEO of Stitcher radio, which was the number two podcast distributor in the world at the time behind iTunes. Um, and so when I got into podcasts, as opposed to television, which is how I started earlier in my career, in my early 20s, I found a sense of freedom. And also I was quite desperate, <laughs> I'll be honest with you. I uh, previously had lost everything in New York City. I kind of call it the divine quarter, where my house got washed away in Hurricane Sandy in 2012. All my TV contracts got washed away as well. Like I just got canceled or they weren't renewed or whatever it was. Um, a lot of my friends were disappearing. Like I was really going through this transformational period in my life. And I moved back home to Maine in my grandma's basement. And I started and failed at five businesses in a two year period, trying to restart my life when I was 27. And the sixth business was the podcast and the podcast worked. Grandma didn't have internet. So I started it by stealing Wi-Fi at the local Dunkin' Donuts parking lot, had a big old microphone in the car, uh, which looked a little weird, I'll tell you. And I was basically calling on a lot of my friends who were interesting, dynamic people to interview them for the first episodes of the show. And I just, I had a feeling that if I could get people that would never normally do podcasts to do an interview with me, it would be interesting. Because at that point, there was this echo chamber of like guests and podcasts. So yeah, I had people like Beyonce's publicist who had never talked publicly about her 25-year relationship with Beyonce. People like, you know, owners of NBA teams and the first openly gay NFL athletes and just people that I knew people like me would be interested in listening to, but perhaps had not done podcasts. So that's how I built it over 300 episodes. Hmm. And, and the aspect of like this giving something so personal in some episodes, you really go into, I think like the dark times of your life and the struggles that you had with your family and many other things. Um, I mean, was it some kind of therapy for you or? Hmm. So I've, I'm pretty good at compartmentalizing things. So I have a psychotherapist and there are certain pieces of my life that I share in those sessions. And then I had the podcast and have the podcast and that there are certain pieces of myself that I share 
in, in that environment. So I believe it's about being very discerning, although many people would experience me as someone who is radically truthful and transparent. But I think that comes from compassion. I think that when you're able to be radically compassionate, that's actually dealing in truth. And I also believe on the more creative side that the more personal something is, the more universal it is. So I'm every time I share something personal or really go there or ask that of other people, because it's not just me sharing, like, you know, I, I enjoy learning about that, which maybe some of us find that we shouldn't talk about or we shouldn't have open dialogue about. I enjoy that and I enjoy sharing it when it's appropriate. Um, but I think it applies too that the more personal something is, the more universal it is. And so I really like dealing in truth. Jordan Peterson says that when you're dealing with truth, you're able to deal with what's right in front of you so that the past can be put in the past where it belongs. And that has spoken deeply to me and has been sort of a running kind of philosophy through my life. With that experience and this ability to speak in so openly, did you bring this into a retreat experience? I mean, did you go on a retreat for yourself during those times? Was it something that you had experience with? I went to one retreat in my life, a weekend, two-night retreat in southern Maine a year before I founded Imiloa. People think because this place is so built around transformation and discovery and serving the clients and the participants that come here. Of course, I'm talking about being the co-founder and president of Imiloa in Costa Rica. People think because of the level of precision with which we've created this place over the last two years, that certainly I or my co-founders must have been retreat snobs. We must have gone to a lot of retreats. I went to one and I saw what I loved and I don't go to a lot of retreats because I don't love the vibe. And so I created the place that I would always want to be able to come to on retreat, a place that encouraged you know, my own personal independent investigation of truth, a place where nature is the star, etc. So I would say that the, the openness uh, and my experience with retreats is that I haven't had much experience with retreats and that's why I created a really gorgeous place because I didn't have much interference there. Um, and I was able just to really listen to, you know, the, the, whatever you call it, whatever, whatever the woo woo people call it. I was listening to my heart, God, spirit source, just taking action and turning the results over to a higher power. And that's how we built this place. And obviously we can go into it more, but that, does that, does that answer your question? Yes, yeah, somehow. Um, I mean, when, when, when did it come up the first time for yourself? Was there an idea of, okay, um, healing is something that I'm interested in, like personal development, but it also, I would love to have a place where I would feel at home. Was this something that came up at some point in your life? Can I tell you something? I really enjoy your questions. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> I really enjoy talking with you. Oh, well, that's fantastic. That makes two of us. Here we go. So look, Imi Loa came about, and I mean, it's a story, but it's true. I was in grandma's basement for two years, as I told you. The podcast took off. Within six months, I was earning $12,000 a month from the podcast, uh, 250,000 listeners a month. 
uh, on average, and I was able to monetize the hell out of it. I'm very good at selling things. And so I, you know, was able, everyone's like, you're not going to make any money on the podcast. And from a Dunkin' Donuts parking lot, I was like, you better watch me. I'm going to make a lot of money. Um, and I'm going to do a lot of good, hopefully, for a lot of people, right? The two can go hand in hand. Anyway, so as I started making all of this income and not really knowing where I wanted to be, because spiritually in that basement, I had confronted so many of my demons that I was unwilling to look at when my ego was just out of control and I was in television and you know, doing whatever I was doing all around the world and first class and this and that, I really confronted myself in that basement. And so spiritually, I felt that I no longer fit in New York or LA. And my friend reminded me of how much I loved Maui, Hawaii. And so using the program, I was in a 12-step program at this point, and using this program of recovery, of taking action, turning the results over, you know, admitting my powerlessness and that my life is unmanageable so that I may be empowered by a higher power. All of these things which were becoming practices in my life, not just lip service. A lot of people just blah, 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 right? When they talk about their spiritual awareness or awakening, it takes real action. And so I applied for a house that I couldn't quite afford in Hawaii, but that I was going to Airbnb the cottage. That was the business plan. And because I was dealing more in truth after my recovery, I told the owner exactly what I was going to do. Uh, of course, this was 2015 before Airbnb had been like a real issue with a lot of people. And the owner was like, great, I'll put it in the lease. So I end up on August 27, 2015. And this does answer your question. I promise you, Sasha. On August 27, 2015, I go from my grandma's basement in Lewiston, Maine, a poor working class mill town, to Kula, Hawaii, in a 4,000 square foot home overlooking three Hawaiian islands. And on August 28th, I wake up and I walk outside and I see Oprah and Gail, her best friend. And all of a sudden, I went from grandma's basement to Oprah's neighbor. And it was within, it was literally, I mean, people talk about quantum leaps. That was literally in a day. So there was a lot of acceptance that went on with learning that I could create manifest from a place of surrender rather than from a place of hustle. There was a lot of acceptance. I, ironically, I thought grandma's basement was tough to get used to. Living in Maui in that sort of paradise was something for me to get used to. In any case, uh, I Airbnb'd the cottage. It paid for the whole house within the first two weeks, and I never paid rent at that house. And then I had a big old house. I had four bedrooms upstairs in a, in a beautiful kind of 4,000-square-foot home. And I, I furnished each bedroom, and I just started inviting people. I said anybody could come. Anybody that had to do anything could just come to Maui. And I wouldn't charge them. And they could just stay in the bedrooms and I'd cook them breakfast in the morning. It wasn't a bed and breakfast. I wish I had been that thoughtful. It was me just like, I have this access to this beautiful home. Why don't I share it? And that's when it happened. 3,000 people over three years came through that home, Sasha. And, that, and you know what I realized? I realized people want to feel at home in their transformation. They were able to come into my house and I just was feeding them breakfast and I made them rent their own car and go eat lunch and dinner. And I was barely around. I was like, this is heaven. Like I get to have breakfast, which is my favorite meal of the day, cook it for friends and people that are becoming friends. 
And then I go live my life. I go to my Ashtanga yoga. I go to out with my friends. And I always have people in my house, but I don't need to look after them. It was like a dream come true. And people were ignited. I had Rwandan genocide survivors writing their memoirs. I had stage four cancer survivors who were healing their cancer at that house. I had, do you want to hear the craziest situation that I ever had at that house? In December of 2016, I had a Vietnamese couple from Orange County, California, and they were staying in the cottage, so they were renting on Airbnb. And I got to talking with some of the guests, as I did, and it was revealed to me that the lady, the woman, told me that she was on the last helicopter out of Vietnam in 75, as Vietnam was falling, okay? A year later, December 2017, I have some people upstairs in my house, uh, an interracial Vietnamese gringo couple, like a white and a Vietnamese woman. And I wasn't thinking at all about my friends from a year before, I was just meeting this new couple. And as we're sitting on my couch, the woman tells me about leaving Vietnam. And she said that she hasn't seen a friend that she escaped Vietnam with because she was on a helicopter, the last helicopter in 75 to get out of Vietnam. She hasn't seen her since that helicopter day. Now they're from Washington, DC. The couple before is from Orange County. I connected them and we reunited best friends 40 years later, Sasha. <laughs> What a story. That what is, story. and th so that's where all these synchronicities started coming. And I realized it wasn't just about healing because if I'm, if I'm saying I'm creating a space for people to heal, then I'm assuming that you're broken and none of us are broken. And I was tired of people who were kind of gnawing at the pain in order to get to the love or gnawing at the darkness in order to get to the light. And I thought, well, why don't I just create a place based on light? And as the darkness comes up, it can actually just come up to be healed. It doesn't have to be this thing where it's like constantly poking at the shadows and doing all the work and everything that's heavy. And all of a sudden, you know, I'm like carrying all this stuff on my shoulders. No, I can create a place that's based on a lot of light and give people permission to be so that I can have monks dining next to addicts and that can be normal. And then people can just walk with each other on our, on our path. And so that's how, that's how the retreat center was created. I'm super curious. Do you think, I mean, I, I know a few of your stories from your podcast and it seems there was always quite a special relationship with your family, not always the best one. Do you feel that it has, that it plays a role in sense of how you related to your home and creating a home for others? Yeah, I mean, I'm doing it because of the biggest, I, I, this place of beauty and uh, it, where nature is the star and the people are heart centered and nobody ever wants to leave and 77% of people renew. I can give you all the facts and all the good news. This place was created out of my deepest and darkest pain. I mean, that's very clear to me and it became clear to me about a year into it. I mean, look, when I was 17, I watched my brother die in my parents' arms. He had leukemia, he was 13, and I literally watched him transition and watched my parents gently caressing his cheek and rubbing their hand through his hair as he died. I was 17 and like I said, he was 13. My parents were in 
their early 40s. And what I experienced after that was a total um, meltdown of a family unit. Really, it had happened two years before when he was diagnosed. I basically raised myself during high school because he was diagnosed with cancer, my brother, when I was 14. And he died when I was 17. So I basically raised myself. I moved to France because my family was three hours away in a hospital in Boston, a Boston children's hospital. And I moved to France to go learn French, but really it was as an escape. I went as an exchange student. And I lived alone in high school with my aunt. Oprah raised me, literally, like I watched that show every day. And then became her neighbor, if you're following the story. Okay, that's my life, Sasha. <laughs> Were you able to tell her? No, I wasn't able to tell her. You know, I never, I never engaged. I mean, we engaged like saying hello, but I never became friends with her. I was, it just was, I just wanted it to be normal, even though it wasn't normal. And I never got the opportunity. I tried. I, I talked to her people and I was like, I am her neighbor and I am ready to be invited over for a cup of tea. But that just wasn't meant to be wasn't meant to be, but it was fun to be around that, that energy. Anyways, so I would say that, you know, that, I, I don't even know what to call it, but like the, the total meltdown of the family unit based on this incredible trauma that was prolonged, definitely blew a great big hole. I call it someone who I interviewed on my show, a, a, a pretty renowned talent manager who manages some of the biggest comedians in the world said a lot of these people have a goddamn god-sized hole blown through them in childhood and then they spend the rest of their life trying to fill it and that resonated so deeply with me and is so much of the work now that i'm doing is to recognize that i am whole it's not about the hole that was blown through me but it's definitely i mean there's no accident that i'm creating a home where i myself didn't have one um, when I was a kid needing it most. And now the world who needs it most is able to have it. It's pretty remarkable, actually. I love it. I love it. It resonates a lot uh, with me and my own aim to create a home for others, to invite mm. people into that home and uh, to give them that feeling. Because it's also it's something I feel so many times. Every time I do retreats and people come, it's just giving them that experience of being home. In a mm. Way. Mm. So from I, feel, Maui, I feel very at home in this conversation, I will tell you. Thank you. I thank you. love yes. people who are good at conversations. It makes me so happy. It makes me just want to just, just, mm, just eat it up. It's great because so many people aren't good. And the problem is they think that they are good. People think that they're really good at podcasting or conversations or interviews. <laughs> so when you find someone who's really good, it's like, yes, here we go. Okay, go ahead. Okay. Sorry to interrupt you. Thank you so you. much. You're welcome. Thank you so much. All it's right. good. All right. Um, so like from Maui to Costa Rica, was it something that you somehow manifested that you at some point wanted to bring into your life? Or was it just something that entered your life at some point? Mm. A little bit of both. It's the paradox. I found that my greatest creations in life, whether they're public or private, are often paradoxes, where in many ways I am creating it, but I'm also in this place of surrender. I've heard it's much like windsurfing. I've never windsurfed, but I've heard that when you can, when you can find your core on that board and the wind is just perfect, There's effort. It's very effortful, obviously, 
but there's also a level of ease and effortlessness when you really let go. I think that my greatest creations and manifestations have embodied that paradox. Um, it was not easy and yet it was the easiest thing I've ever done. You know, I, for three years, once I became clear, once I became clear that I wanted to create this place, I just started creating it. I believe that we create our world through our word. And so I started speaking about it. In fact, if you go and talk to any of my friends on Maui, most of them were appalled the first year of Emiloa because literally everything that I was talking about for three years came true. It just came true in a different country and different part of the world than I expected. That's the letting go, right? So yeah, I started creating it. I really loved this idea of creating a home. I loved, and not even for me or my own family, which was interesting. My family visited me on Hawaii, but it was for the world. It was like where the world showed up. It was a little strange. So I started just speaking about it. And then I started looking at real estate in Maui and made offers on real estate and got into contracts and then had to get out of contracts because I didn't have the money. But I would get myself into contracts, not having the money, seeing if I could manifest it, just playing, playing, playing. It's a big part of my manifesting is I'm just playing with the universe. Take action, turn the results over, see what gives, see what, see what materializes, take more action, turn it over, see what materializes. That's what it was for three years. Then I met my business partner, Nadav, and we started buying real estate together in Michigan. We called the, the company Compassionate Adventures. And I had brought him this idea of a retreat center, like, hey, let's do this. He was really good at raising money. And he wasn't keen on it. I had to bring it to him four times. What are you laughing at, Sasha? You know, Nadal? No, I mean, you're, you're persistent. I mean, this is also how I got to know you. There is this drive and yeah. I really enjoyed it. And yeah. it's something that you, you communicate and it's, it's, yeah, yeah, it's tangible. It's tangible and it's authentic. And I'm authentic about how inauthentic I am. So it really just, basically you become unstoppable. If you create something tangible and you're authentic about how inauthentic you are and you know how to show up and deal with truth, you become unstoppable in anything. This is what I've learned. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but this is what I've learned so far. In any case, so yeah, four times of bringing this retreat center idea to Nadav and at, at one point, he actually gave me the money to, to buy it in Maui. And then he, right before it was about to like close or whatever, he called me and he was like, is this what you actually want? I said, no, I actually want something much bigger, but I'm just taking the next, you know, the next step. He says, well, get out of the deal, send me back the money and let's just do it together. Let's do this properly. And I was like, oh, yeah, that, that, that's a pretty good idea. I like that. And so he put a Facebook post out. We started raising money and five Facebook posts raised three and a half million dollars. And we had a deal on a house in Maui. And because of regulations, we had to get out of it at the last moment. Um, we, due, due to our due diligence that it just wasn't going to be able to work in terms of the regulations in Hawaii with a retreat center. They make it very difficult there. Um, and so then we said, well, we want to build this intercontinental vision, one Imiloa on every continent. Why don't we go to the next one in line? Well, what's the next one in line? Costa Rica. Okay, we're going to Costa Rica. So overnight I flew to Costa Rica. I lined up 10 viewings. The place that we now call home, Imiloa, right outside of Dominical, was the first one that I saw. And we made an offer and I moved to Costa Rica 45 days later after planning to do all of this in Hawaii, literally liquidated my 4,000 square foot home, et cetera, went through, 
went through a real grieving mourning process, I'll tell you, because I had planned to do it in Hawaii. And I never thought I would ever leave Hawaii. And then all of a sudden, you know, the vision, the vision will get you, Sasha, the vision will get you. It was a, it was a really lofty vision. And, uh, and I followed that vision and it, and it brought me here. So and during that time, bringing everything together and um, always pushing, 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 was there also something like a challenge, something where you felt like, wow, um, I'm coming to a point where this dream might not come into reality? Always, every day. And that's when I learned to let go and let go a little more every day. I mean, when we switched from Hawaii, which we had all the money for Hawaii, Hawaii to Costa Rica, we lost half a million dollars overnight because investors pulled because they said, we do not want to invest in Costa Rica. We wanted to invest in Hawaii. Um, I came down here and, you know, yeah, I mean, every day there was something that to most normal circumstances would have sank the project. And what I did is actually pushed a lot less than you might expect. I actually learned to let go, let go, let go, let go, let go, let go. And in that letting go, I saw what was wanting to be. If I would have kept pushing, 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 I wouldn't have been able to see what was wanting to be. I was incredibly dogged, like, like, like on the bone, like gnawing on the bone while also being really relaxed. And it was this combination, this dance, a true dance, letting the universe lead and letting and taking the lead when I wanted to. And, you know, I'm still experimenting with it. I still, I am only explaining it to you with words as best as I understand it. But it's about 5% of my understanding of how all of this came to be. I am by no far, no, by, by no measure an expert in, in this. I just, I know what happened and I think I know why it happened. And there was something mystical, magical, mythical about that letting go at every step. Every time I thought it was over, I didn't try to make it. I let it go. Hi, this is a little note from your host. I'm super grateful that you are here and listen to our conversation. And I want to take a moment to ask you for your support. There are many ways in which you can help me and grow the podcast and support this work. The easiest way is to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast platform so you always get the latest episodes. Also, leaving me a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts helps me a lot. This will tell the algorithm to show Retreat Affairs to more people so they can find the show and enjoy it. If you want to help me a little more, you can also head over to retreataffairs.com and become a member of the show. As a member, you will get access to the full interview, you will be able to read the transcript and have the links to everything that was mentioned throughout the show. But most importantly, you will help me to keep the podcast going. I started this as a project that's close to my heart. I'm passionate about the podcast, but it also keeps me busy quite a lot. By supporting me, you will help me to dedicate more time to this project and still be able to pay my rent and have some delicious plant-based food between recording sessions. Every bit of support is super welcome. And if you feel the love, don't forget to share this with your friends. Thank you so much for your time and your interest. Let's go back to the interview.
in that process of creating a retreat center, mm. I mean, how did you actually know what you wanted to create, what you would need to have and um, how to bring this all together? We did not. We didn't know anything, actually. What I had was a vision on a Squarespace site and some really wonderful uh, social impact investors. Uh, we now have 39 investors from 19 countries around the world that's building this intercontinental vision of one Imiloa on every continent. Pretty cool. Um, but when we started out, you know, we thought we were going to do 15 person retreats. So I came here and we started building for 15 person retreats. We had three gorgeous Bali homes um, from Bali, 200 year old homes from Bali. And we thought, well, that's a good place to have a retreat. Excellent. And that's a good vision for Imiloa. And Imiloa, by the way, was named by a Hawaiian elder, and it means creativity expressed through wonder and imagination. Creativity expressed, yeah, through wonder and imagination. So we just started to create, and then I started to sell and um, basically figured out how to attract thousands, well, hundreds, we contacted thousands, but attract hundreds of retreat hosts from around the world into conversations and what we call discovery calls. And then people just started converting. And all of a sudden I wasn't selling 15 person retreats. I was selling 40 person retreats. So then I called my people and I was like, we're building, babe, we're building. And all of a sudden we're building six bungalows in a sloth sanctuary and six geodesic domes along the river. And now we have this beautiful place that houses 40, 45 people, depending on what people need. So no, it was never clear. The clarity was in, in the internal alignment. That was always clear. And my only job when I'm out of alignment is to get back into that alignment, flowing down the stream. Don't create from a place swimming upstream. You know, that's my, that's my goal every day is to just create from that aligned place. So no, I just made sure my alignment was okay. And then everything that was coming toward me, you know, I was able to just juggle with my partners. Um, yeah, it wasn't easy. I wish I had had a checklist. That would have been a lot easier. Didn't have a checklist. In fact, we built 12 homes in eight months. Um, to give you comparison of what that means in the Costa Rican jungle, there's a hotel near us, one building that had six rooms. They took four years and that was fast. And we built 12 homes in eight months. So yeah, I think that there's something with that level of intention that comes. I mean, we believe when people like book a retreat with us, we, we talk about our philosophy of abundance. And really, I think it's a philosophy for creation. Clarity leads to serenity, leads to prosperity in whatever form that is prosperous for you. So no, there wasn't a checklist. Thanks for reminding me that there wasn't a checklist. I'm starting to sweat a little bit now. <laughs> I mean, I saw this one um, podcast that you put out, the video podcast, and where you're telling the story about putting up the domes last minute before the first retreat. And uh, this sounded like a pretty adventurous uh, thing to do. Yeah, we were always delayed. I mean, yeah, because that's the thing is that these domes had to come from Poland because, of course, I went like, okay, anybody could buy domes from anywhere, but where do I want to buy domes from? I want to buy domes from the most unforgiving environment in the world because the jungle, I find, is one of the most unforgiving environments. So I need these domes to last. So I bought them from Warsaw, Poland, but of course, they took a month to get here, which happened to be 24 hours before the retreat that needed them. And so... Yeah, it was insanity, like 60 construction people building fast and everything was ready. And that 
retreat has since renewed four times. So it all worked out. It could have very easily been Fire Festival, though. <laughs> so, I mean, like for the listeners that haven't seen your website, that haven't got a glimpse of Emiloa, like what's the experience like? Like what is Emiloa now? Hmm. Well, we're three and a half hour drive from San Jose or a 20 minute flight. And the actual institute is at the top of a mountain on the end of a road out on the edge of a cliff. Um, there are several different climates that Imiloa calls home within the 22 acres. There's deep jungle, there's a cliffside overlooking the Pacific Ocean, there's mountain. Um, it's pretty extraordinary. Coming here is a sensual experience. Nature is truly the star. Um, when people arrive, they often report entering a vortex, which I take no credit for. I think that's just what happens when you don't interfere with nature. Um, we built all this stuff without cutting a single tree. Uh, that's pretty huge. So the jungle really loves us back, I think, I hope. Um, we're trying to have as minimal of an impact on nature, but as maximum of an impact on humanity as possible. Um, people feel at home. You know, the team that we hired, none of them have hospitality experience. We hired them for their heart and their humility. So that experience is like, you're not dealing with a hotel concierge. You're dealing with a dude that you love a lot or a lady in operations who, you know, you just find so special. Like it's a really interesting, it's truly a vibe of home. And I think that somehow just materialized. I didn't intend it like that, but I knew I didn't want stuffy hospitality people here either. So we went out and we found, we found one of the best chefs in Central America who has the most amazing story. The reason why people feel so comfortable here is because naturally what I'm gravitating towards is people with a story, people with a hero's journey. We all are, you know, offered throughout our lives hero's journeys where we, we get a call to go out into the abyss alone and we go through hell and high water out there and God willing, we are able to come back from that abyss to our community with an offering. That is the completion of the hero's journey. And so the people we hire here have those types of stories, whether it's my chef who had a brain tumor, who is curing it with Ayurvedic medicine, plant-based nutrition, but has left him deaf and blind, to, you know, my operations gal who, you know, was in a domestically violent relationship and is very open about that, to, you know, and the stories just go on and on here. And it's really beautiful. And I think that's why people feel so sensually alive. I don't mean sensual as in like intimate. I feel sensual as in like all five and six senses here. Um, you know, there's three different types of accommodations and each one activates people in a different way. You have those sacred geometrical shaped domes. People report not having any jet lag sleeping in there, um, that the circadian rhythm gets balanced. We have the jungalos, which look out to the sloth sanctuary as you take your bathtub. One of the only places to have a bathtub <laughs> around this area. Uh, and then the 200-year-old homes from Bali, which have their own energy. Yeah, so I would say that that's the general experience that people are walking into. Hmm. And so has this, like, where do you feel in your hero's journey now mm. through the experience that you have so far with Emiloa? Where am I? Mm -hmm. It feels like a collision. <laughs> Um, you know, you, you were very generous in praising me for my openness and my previous endeavors. So I guess I can 
be as open in this episode, right? With you, I, I, I owe it. I owe you. I owe myself that much. Look, it feels like a collision. The offering of Emiloa initially was my, that was the treasure that I brought back. Like I had gone out and, you know, into grandma's basement, into Dunkin' Donuts parking lots, you know, having come through that to Oprah's neighbor, like that, though, that knowledge, that experience is now applied to everything that happens at Emiloa. So that's kind of, that was the end of One Hero's Journey. I feel like that the beginning of this pandemic um, is another hero's journey for me. And what it's opening up for me is recognizing the need that it's incumbent upon me to accept and fully step in my own personal power. And I thought I had learned it when I created Emiloa. I thought I had learned how to manifest and I had, and I thought I had learned how to create things and I did. But there's still a part of me that most would not see if they don't know me intimately. There's a part of me that still is like not fully responsible for creating what it is I've created. There's still a part of me that somewhat skirts the acknowledgement, kind of pushes it aside there's still a part of me that doesn't fully accept myself as a sovereign, you know, kind of creator, you know, alongside the creator of which I am, you know. So I would say I'm entering another hero's journey and it's a little dark some days and it's a lot of light other days. And I'm just dealing with each day as it comes and really just praying for the willingness and meditating for the willingness of acceptance. I do believe that the 12 steps were quite wise when they said acceptance is the key to all of my problems today. And so each day I pray for the willingness of acceptance. Um, I try to treat people better than I did the day before. And I am just in the journey. The thing about being in the journey, the hero's journey, is it's not something you're like, okay, I'm going on a hero's journey. Let's go six months and go. It's usually only experienced, the real value, the real treasure is experienced and shared only in hindsight, only in hindsight. So I feel like I'm in one. I don't yet know what I'm going to be able to share as a result of it. Some days are dark, up and down. A lot of things have changed at Emiloa over the last six months. I feel, I do feel in general for the better, but I also felt that way in grandma's basement too. I felt that things were changing for the better, and yet I was in the basement, and it was some of the darkest and lightest days of my life. In fact, when I think about the level of simplicity, the lowering down of the dial of desire, I was able to lower down, Sasha, the dial of desire, and that made me the happiest person on earth in that basement. I remember it, especially the second year. The first year in the basement, I was resisting all the time, trying to leave, getting partners to pay for my tickets to New York City, go, you know, ah, sensual, you know, getting, making sure that I activated the senses. And then the second year, nothing. It all became quiet. And I became a really happy human being because the dial of desire had been dialed down. So I feel like that that is something that's, transpiring now and I guess I'll have to do a part two to tell you what the actual treasure was that I'm able to bring back from it mm, I'm looking forward to that part absolutely so do you see that uh, is a kind of um, similarity now with um, I mean everything that you've experienced so far with Emiloa the first 
like how long was it like the first two three years up to when the pandemic started and all the success that you had like how was this like the time up to the pandemic up to the pandemic so uh well the pandemic gave me something really special that i can tell you and it was actually time to be able to enjoy this place i had never enjoyed it for I guess, 20 months, 20 months from, from June, 2018 to March of 2020 was 20 months in that time we built for eight of those. And then I sold crazy for the other 12 months. Yeah. So, I mean, to give you an idea, we did 91 retreat contracts in 20 months. Like I was doing a contract and a half a week. Like there was, it was every day. The team never had a break. We were always hiring. Planes were flying in and out. Literally, I had groups, 40 person groups, literally passing each other in the cafe down the hill. Because uh, one, they would, you know, the United Nations would be coming in the same day that the ISTA group, which was the International School of Temple Arts, would be leaving. It would just be like ships crossing in the night every week, every week, every week. And that was a remarkable way to start a business. Uh, it was a remarkable way to hit the ground and to test a concept. Does a concept like this work? Not only like the creative concept, but does the business concept work? Where we handle everything from ticketing to touchdown to takeoff. And obviously it does, you know, not only in terms of the initial sale, but the 77% renewals. Obviously things change. But that was the basically the first 20 months. Eight of them was chaos and circus trapeze acts of building this place. 12 months was selling and creating a lot of curiosity. And then the pandemic hit, and then I got to actually enjoy it. And now we'll see what's being created next. <laughs> so what was the, what was like the most beautiful uh, within those first months, within the first initial excitement and everything coming together? Every time I let go, so every time we went over budget, we went all in all about a million dollars over budget. Um, but every time, every time I got to a place where I didn't know what I didn't know anymore and I let go, I felt a little bit better. Um, so that was my own personal journey. The, the brightest times in terms of the retreat um, you know, I've created a lot of things in my life. I've created television shows and music tours and, um, you know, professional things and personal things. I'm a creator. I'm a real creator and I'm really accepting my ability to do that. I have never been thanked for creating anything. <clears throat> I've never been thanked for creating anything that I've created, whether it's podcasts or TV shows. I mean, sure, like I've made money and I've had an impact maybe and inspired, but I've never been thanked. And the most beautiful moments at Emiloa is when someone's leaving or they're in the middle of their retreat. I don't spend much time here during retreats. I come for the opening and then I'm out and I let people do their thing. But when they do see me and they do pull me aside and they do tell me that this was exactly what they were praying for and thank you for creating it. When I've had so little to do with their actual day-to-day -day experience, because my team is one of the best teams in the world, I've had so little to do with their day-to-day -day, and yet, they acknowledge the vision that it took to be able to create what they're now experiencing. And they say that those to me are the beautiful moments because here's why Sasha, most would say, well, that's really nice to be thanked for creating something that you've created. Sure. 
my vision for this is that it ripples throughout the world. That's why we have seven intercontinental institutes. So when someone is seeking me out to give me this level of, to share this level of gratitude, what it's telling me is that the community that that person is returning into will be impacted by that person's experience. And that's what, for me, the thank you or the acknowledgement is doing. It's the ripple effect. Like I, I tell people, there are 30 of you here, but just wait, because there are 30 communities that are going to be touched, transformed, and inspired by the work that you do this week. And I really believe that. So that is, that's what I feel when people are thanking me. It's actually, it's the beginning of the ripple that happens in the communities that they go back into. And I visualize everyone getting home safely on the last day, taking the plane and going back into their Fort Lauderdale's and Minneapolis and Nepal and Paris and all this. I visualize that this, the, the energy of this place just exploding like tentacles. It's a beautiful thing. When you say that you mostly just welcome people and then leave the place, um, is there sometimes also the feeling of missing out on something, of not being around when this transformation happens? Or is there, like, is it something that you could see yourself going more into in the future? maybe as part of your hero's journey now? So I am open to potentially teaching more. I never think I have something to teach, though. I think that that's what keeps me kind of somewhat humble and awe-inspired. I know you don't believe me. I saw your eyes. Um, but I, I, I kind of approach that from, from, a, from a humble servant. I mean, the, I, I created the leadership principles of Emiloa to be a spirit of service and a posture of learning. I really believe that we, we, we show up with a spirit of service and a posture of learning. So do I feel like I'm missing out? Absolutely not. Because here's the thing with this little container and this thing called Imiloa is people come here to do the work. Like I can't even believe some of the transformation that happens here with people. I mean, people really come here to clean themselves, to get present with themselves, to do whatever the mission of that particular retreat is. And it's freaking inspiring, but it's not something I want to be in the path of at all. Also, I'm very clear that even though, again, the thank yous and the stuff go to me, I'm very clear that what they are seeing is a reflection of themselves through the nature and through the accoutrements that we've put around here. So I don't want to be the focus of people's transformation because I could be. I can change your life because I can change mine. I can transform. I know I can ignite a room in a second. I want nature to do what it's meant to do. I want the vision to do what it's meant to do. I want the retreat host to be fully empowered. I don't want to be the focus of that because that's very hard for me not to be the focus of something when I walk into the room. Uh, it's I'm not. I know my place. I know my place, and I'm the center of attention when I walk into a room. So I'd rather just be out of the room and let what is necessary to happen here, happen here. So no, I don't feel like I'm missing out, but I have played with maybe teaching a little more, but we'll see. Like I'm very happy with other people teaching. I actually learned that from Oprah. Oprah became really successful, not because she knew anything. She just was really smart at letting other expertise flow through her and be the channel for that. And so, you know, much of this is designed based on that. This is one of the best interviews I think I've ever done, Sasha. Honest to goodness. I really enjoy it. I really enjoy it. It's such a pleasure talking to you. I pray that... So, yeah, go ahead. 
Yeah, when, when, when you say that now you get to enjoy yourself mm. uh, since the pandemic hit. So what changed? What changed in Emiloa? What changed for yourself? Well, I was living off of campus, renting a house, because um, we actually didn't have time to build the house that I wanted to build for me to live on the other side of campus. So I was renting a house. And when the pandemic hit, we made a choice to, the executives made a choice to take a 90% pay cut in order so that we would not have to lay off anybody, um, any of our team. And so we, and I'm very happy we made that choice, but unfortunately, daddy can't live on 90% pay cuts. You know what I'm saying, Sasha? So I, I moved into one of the houses at Imiloa. And so that's why I started to be able to enjoy this place in a totally different way, because I didn't have a retreat here. We do have like long-term people that are living here um, and, and short-term as well. So there is that transient nature, but it's not like full-on surrender yourself to the universe. Or if it's happening, it's not happening in front of me. Um, so that's why I was able to enjoy it a little more. Um, and, you know, there'll come a time in the next few months here as things start to pick back up. God willing, you know, no one knows anything anymore. I'm clear on that. But as things start to pick back up, we're all, we're all exit the campus again and let it be the container that it was designed to be. Hmm. So what is happening at the moment at Emiloa? Is it just people living together and, and sharing their expertise? Or how did you use the time? So we've tried a lot of different things. Um, turns out people really love to live here. So we have some folks that have lived here since March. People really love to visit here. In fact, because we were nonstop, Costa Ricans or locals that live in Costa Rica were never able to visit. So now we have short-term stays where people are able to come for the weekend or week. Um, we've developed an entire, um, what we call journey by Imiloa, which is the digital experience of Imiloa which has vlogs, podcasts, and courses. And so we, we actually film courses of people that are here. We use Imiloa as the studio. The 22 Acres is our studio. We have a production company that now lives here um, for half the month and produces all this amazing content. We work with an Australian ad agency um, that's getting that content out there. And so that's a really exciting thing, actually, because that's also something I wanted to do pre-pandemic. Um, and really got the space to be able to do. So that's how we've been using the time and reimagining and rethinking how this place can stand. Luckily, you know, we're not a hotel and we're not a traditional retreat center. Like we, we really consider ourselves an institute for the education and advancement of human beings. And so how that reimagines itself and regenerates itself, there are a lot more options than a lot of people in hospitality are experiencing right now. So we're still playing. You know, we're still playing, but it's basically short term, long term, uh, some retreats, like some people will get a group of 15 people together here in Costa Rica and just come here for the weekend. It happened last weekend, actually 35 people last weekend. So there's, yeah, we're just, we're just playing and experimenting. So what's the actual situation right now? Is there any people allowed from the outside into Costa Rica? Yes. So I believe there are like 20 U.S. states and 45 countries that are allowed into Costa Rica. The borders opened on September 1st um, or July or August 1st, August or September 1st. So, yes, there are many countries that are allowed in. It's not the easiest to get here uh, from what I know. Like my friends were just talking about coming in from London, but it was going to be a 16 hour journey. Um, so it's a bit of a schlep, uh, and I think that'll ease over the coming months. Um, but that's the situation. So how has the old experience changed 
like the community of Imilor, like you, your staff, people working together, um, how has that affected everybody? Well, um, COVID's brought up a lot for a lot of people. I'd rather say pandemic, actually. The pandemic experience has brought up a lot for a lot of people. Uh, you know, our co-founder is no longer with us. Uh, unfortunately, um, or fortunately, her journey of self-exploration um, led her on a really interesting path. And that path no longer kind of aligned with the operational needs of the company. Um, so that was a pretty big deal and continues to be a big deal. And what that has done is that has allowed a lot of our team of managers and directors to rise up and elevate. And so Emiloa primarily still is uh, led by a group of Costa Ricans. I'm really the only gringo here. And those Costa Ricans are at director and senior level positions, making the choices, calling the shots. We have a Costa Rican agency that we work with um, that's doing a lot of our marketing. So I really believe in that. And I think that's a very unique flavor. Um, so I would say that the pandemic has allowed for a tremendous amount of growth professionally for people. Um, it's also revealed, as I'm sure it has for you and a lot of those who are listening, it's revealed who people really are. Uh, you know, are you a fearful person? Are you a loving person? Are you fearful and sometimes loving? Loving and sometimes fearful? Do you make rash decisions? Are you thoughtful? What are you really wanting for your life? All these things, all these questions that have come up for so many of us that have been blown open by this, um, you know, that's very real for a lot of people. Um, you know, my 55-year-old aunt, who I love and I've loved since I was a kid, she called me and told me that she realized she's never lived her purpose and she doesn't even know what that is but now she wants to know and she discovered it because she was off of work for two months she's a dental hygienist i mean these types of things are really deeply impacting and moving people and the investors of emiloa and those that have are on the leadership team have always spoken through the lens of let's figure out a resiliency plan so that we make it through because on the other side of this are a whole bunch of people who will love to come here because really so many have been blown open by what's happened. And anybody who's a transformational leader right now um, is you know, going to be called on in the next 12, 18, 24, 36 months because people have just realized that life is not what they thought it's about. And that, that blowing open is causing a lot more questions than answers, which I actually think is really healthy. But places like Emiloa and work like the work that you do and others is going to become so important. Um, so our resiliency plan has always called for that as we watch many in the hotel and retreat world just shut down or furlough or whatever it is. It's like, how can we stay in this to be able to contribute a huge amount of value on the other end? So just to give you a little insight into our world and how we think through things. So is there anything coming up at the moment that you're already like looking forward to that there is any like real retreat coming back uh, onto the schedule? So one of the things that I'm most proud of is that while 30 retreats in 2020 transferred, only two of them canceled. So everything transferred into 2021. And in fact, in the last few months, I've, I've sold five contracts for 2021. So there are a lot of things moving into 21 that we're really excited about. We also have a retreat. It's a closed retreat, but with the Colombian indigenous tribe, um, the Kogis and the Mamos, which are the priests of that tribe, they're doing a retreat here 
in November. Um, and we have uh, retreats starting again in January, February. I think it'll start slowly. Um, and, uh, you know, most are later on in 2021 into 2022 now. So how do you how do you think like this whole experience? I mean, you just touched a little bit on it. Like, how do you think this will impact in general the way we travel our idea of traveling? I mean, I'm coming from Germany. There's been a lot of discussion going on about like, okay, sustainable travel. Can we actually go on planes? I mean, this was even before the pandemic. Mm. Yeah. Like, is it really okay to fly to foreign destinations? And especially when you think about like, yeah, going on a retreat for a week and then um, going so far for this. Mm. Uh, how do you see You're asking in terms of the sustainability? I mean, I think it has many aspects. Like from my side, it's like, yes. I mean, we, we've seen how that it has an impact right now that there is less air travel. Yeah. So people think about like, do I actually have to travel? On the other side, there's still a need or a desire to get out. Um, on the other side, I personally feel for myself that... Um, it's also a good chance to think about like, why do we actually travel? And then mm -hmm. thinking about doing retreats and going to faraway places and not just going into a hotel that's owned by a um, multinational company, but going into local communities and supporting them. I think mm. it's a really, really beautiful thing. And um, I haven't thought much about it, but luckily you asked the question. So now I get to think about it. Here's what first comes up. The first thing is, is that I see a lot of people wanting to travel right now. They may not be able to, but I think people are ready to start traveling. Um, again, I don't know if it's going to start in droves. The second thing is, I think your point of, you know, traveling to a hotel that's owned by a multinational organization versus a retreat. I think that calls into a really great question of, you know, the what is the purpose of the travel i love to travel i have no desire to go anywhere i could go places right now and still get back into costa rica no problem the desire has been turned down and i don't think that's such a bad idea that said i think the level of intentionality with travel will be turned back up i think i think that's my sense so i think it's highly likely that people will want to deepen with other people that are of like minds or of like curiosities in terms of a course content or curriculum. I think that will be the purpose of travel rather than just let's go, you know, to XYZ, you know, on the Western side of Maui to go and just be there for a week and, and lay around and, and do whatever. Um, I don't know. I don't know the answer. I think the appetite is there. I think it's going to be different. Um, it definitely for me called into question, you know, we were having five retreats at five nights average a month. That's 25 nights of retreats here. And for me, we are less a hotel or a retreat center and more of a national park. I mean, literally monkeys and sloths and toucans and like, this is their home, right? So it's definitely made me think, huh, what would it look like to do lesser, higher quality retreats and subsidize with really a powerful digital arm? so that people aren't taking out credit cards to come to retreats and they can access it if they have the capital and the desire, but how else can we deliver and be the deliverer of that knowledge? And that's where Journey by Emiloa, the this, this, 
this platform um, that we're creating comes into play. It's not just a response to the pandemic. It's actually a resiliency plan that looks at combining the experiential as well as application of knowledge wherever you live in the world um, that this place seems to bring about, that Emilio seems to bring about. So that those are the ideas that we've been noodling on um, in terms of travel and the type of work we're doing. Again, I feel very lucky that we had such a such a far-reaching vision because it's allowed us to be a lot more creative in our response and our solutions rather than just, shit, we're a hotel. Sorry, we'll see you next year. You know, I feel for the people like that. But with me, it's like, I get to talk to my social impact investors and like, how else are we going to deliver this knowledge? And, you know, what are we going to, how's the production company going to come into this? And da, 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 and it's like a whole thing. And, um, and that's what I encourage people to do. I mean, I'm not unique to this situation. I am a college dropout. Let's be very honest with each other, Sasha. I mean, it's not like I'm a brilliant brain over here. I'm just am willing to take more action than the next person for the most part. And it's in that action taking that we get to get clear. What happens when we get clear? We get serene, our shoulders relax. And what happens after that? Well, prosperity starts. So that's, uh, that kind of goes back to the original ethos of Emilio as well. So do you have the, the feeling that you have found a home for yourself? In Costa Rica? In well, I think home, I think home, no. To answer your question, no. I'm constantly seeking in this area and it makes me very uncomfortable because I have every reason to just chill out and enjoy myself and I still don't allow myself to do that. And so the answer is no and I feel like I'm getting closer because I'm recognizing that the feeling of home that I've been wanting to create is a feeling that's cultivated inside. That's where I am in, in that sort of exploration. And so that's what I've been deepening on um, in my meditations and in my practices and in my conversations with people. I, I think that that's where the home is. My home is not Emiloa. Emiloa is a home for other people. I'm very clear on that. I'm currently staying here at home and I feel very at home here. But I created this for other people. I didn't create it for myself. Uh, and in fact, that makes me pretty unhappy sometimes, to be totally honest with you, and why I really need to focus on creating that experience for me, because I created this for everybody else. And it's beautiful, and everybody else loves it. But as I go into the next chapter in my life, I'm turning 35 next month, it's time to create something really just for me. And I started doing that in Hawaii, but then I moved into creating this as a token for the world. And I'm glad I did. Um, but it's definitely coming back up and it's, it's time to, it's time to move the spotlight a little bit, just a little bit. So do you have an idea what this could be like? Where do you see yourself in five years? Gosh, I, if you would have asked me that question five years ago, that was 2015 and I was heading to Maui five years ago. I could never have seen myself in Costa Rica. I don't know where I'm going. I know it's going to be really juicy and um, no matter what it is, whether it's filled with high highs or low lows, I, I really have come to enjoy the journey. I enjoy the, the sorrow and the feeling of fear and sadness. I actually give myself full permission to feel it and nurture it. I give myself full permission to feel joy and ecstasy and wild hyena-like laughter. You know, that's... Generally, what I've learned, if I've learned any, every, anything over the last five years, and so I would apply that into whatever I create in the next five. 
I wish you so much joy and fun and laughter with that and so much luck. Um, I mean, I know that you have to run at uh, some point, but I just want to give you the chance. Is there anything that you want to share with our listeners before we come to an end here? I think what I've experienced over the last hour or so with you is the power of a questioner and an answerer. And I think that if we're going to get to our truth and actually start operating in the world from a place of clarity, it really helps to have a questioner and an answerer in whatever order, whatever back and forth. It really helps to create that clarity. And I believe that all possibility lives in a conversation. So I hope that as people have listened to this, they're inspired to take maybe some of the things that you and I have talked about, certainly, and applied to their own lives. But just the fact that this happened and to take that into their own lives, into the conversations that they have with others, because it's the best service that I think we can render to each other, asking good questions, answering, paying the favor back uh, to the other person. Uh, so thank you for doing this. And I'd say with that, I'm pretty complete. Thank you. Yeah, I really have to say, I uh, at this point also want to honor myself because I, I had this feeling that I wanted to talk to you. We've never met uh, in person. I mean, we had a conversation online like this before, um, but I really felt drawn to what you are doing and how you present yourself. And I was really curious and just following that curiosity. Um, it was very rewarding. It was such a pleasure to speak to you. And I hope that at some point we really get to meet in person. I, I look really forward that. to that. And I fully honor you for that. And I love being delighted and surprised. And um, thanks for honoring your truth too, Sasha. Thank you, Jake. Yeah. Thank you. My pleasure. Dear friends, this was another episode of the Retreat Affairs podcast, this time with Jake Sasserville. You find everything about Jake and Emiloa on their website. That's emiloainstitute.com or on facebook.com slash emiloainstitute. And you can follow them on Instagram and Twitter at emiloainstitute. You will find all the links in the show notes on our website, retreataffairs.com. Please also consider leaving me a review on Apple Podcasts. That would help me immensely to grow the show and bring it to more people. Thank you for your support and thank you for listening. Until next time, your host, Sascha Kaus. Mm -hmm.